Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Language Dream Podcast. I'm Aiden, I'm your host for this podcast. So, it's Halloween, very spooky, as you can tell by the music that just played. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Alright, uh, what can I tell you guys about my week before we get into who we're talking about today? Well, uh, actually yesterday I went to go see Dune, because of course uh, Timothy Chalamet is in it. And uh, I like movies about space politics. It's like a weird niche that I really like. It's probably why I liked uh, The Phantom Menace so much. Like, obviously, it's still, like not a great movie, but I also like really like space politics in movies. It's it's fun. So, like, I really enjoyed it. No spoilers, but it's really good. But <laughs> I, like, to- almost totally forgot that, like, the movie is only based on half of the first book because, like, the first Dune book is, like, a monster. It's, like, 800 pages. So I was, like, so excited to, like, find out, like, what happens next because, like, the movie just, like, ends, like, so abruptly (laughs) because it's, like, in the middle of the story, obviously. It's, like, a pilot episode of a TV show but, like, in movie form, but, like, I didn't mind. Uh, So, like, I literally, like, marched over to my local chapters, which was, like, right next to the movie theater I was at, and, like, I literally, like, I bought the whole three book series because I was so excited to find out what happens next because I don't want to wait like two three years for like the part two to come out and then for like all the rest of the movies to come out because the other Dune books are quite a lot shorter than uh, the first one they're like under 400 pages so like that's great so I'm gonna probably start reading the first Dune book today so that I can like eventually like find out what happens next in Paul Atreides story like other than that I really enjoyed the movie like it didn't even feel like two and a half hours like it literally went by so quick okay anyway enough about me like I said it's Halloween boo very scary uh so today we were talking about Inez de Castro now you've probably never heard of her I had never heard of her before either uh she was actually suggested to me by a girl named Marie Lou uh, I'm not sure if that's how that's properly pronounced. Um, Marlou, if you're listening to this later, like, please correct me on, like, how to pronounce your name. But, like, a, a while back, I'd say, I think it was last year, um, she texted me. She was very, very sweet. She told me how much she loved my show, which I very much appreciate because, like, I, did, I never think, like, people actually listen to me and that, like, my... Uh, anchor analytics is fucking with me and that actually no one listens to me but uh she told me how much she liked my show and she suggested Inez de Castro and I like immediately googled her after and I was like wow she's so cool so I added her to the list and I thought she'd be a great uh Halloween episode because she is best known as the corpse queen of Portugal because uh she had already been dead for several years when she was declared Queen of Portugal alongside her probably husband, Peter. So uh, I thought she'd be a great addition to the Halloween episode. Actually, originally I was gonna do Mary Shelley, you know, author of Frankenstein, but I thought uh, Corpse Queen of Portugal might be more fun. Um, I'm really excited to talk about Inez because her life is so, so interesting. Uh, Let's get into it. 
Okay, so Inez de Castro was born in the region of Gallica, which is in modern-day Spain, at uh, some point in the year 1325, to uh, Pedro Fernandez de Castro, Lord of Lemos and Sierra, and his noble Portuguese mistress, Aldonca Lorenco de Valadares? Sorry, that her mom's name is long, and it's very pretty, but I can't pronounce it. <laughs> So uh, obviously, um, her her mom being a mistress makes uh, Inez a bastard, which is uh, fun. So uh, since we don't know Inez's birthday, I thought before we actually talk about her parents, we could actually talk about the interesting culture she was born into because I'd personally never heard of it, and I thought it was super interesting. So as I mentioned, she was born in Gallica, which, uh, as I said, is currently located in modern-day northwestern Spain. Like it's on the top; it's like right on the border with Portugal. Now, for hundreds of years, Gallico was like a totally independent kingdom with like its own culture and even its own dialect of Spanish, which uh, actually most people would say it's a lot closer to Portuguese, uh, but it's technically Spanish. Anyway, um, that changed in the 13th century when the kingdom of Castile took over the region, when the king of Castile ended up inheriting the place. So he added it to the kingdom of Castile, and from then on, it ended up being one of the poorest regions in the kingdom because uh the crown they just really didn't pay a lot of attention to uh Gallica but uh Gallican culture was still very much alive when Inez was born uh Gallicans are considered uh, a romance ethnic group so they have a lot of like poetry and music in their culture and um actually believe it or not most of their culture is the result of uh Celtic people who settled in the area so their art um in their art, you can see a lot of stuff like Celtic crosses, like you would find in Ireland or even Scotland. Uh, just like uh, most Romance languages, uh, Gallic is based in Latin, and even today, it's still a popular alternative to uh, standardized Spanish. And uh, for the most part, people use it as their first language. It was really cool and interesting to learn about Gallic culture because I, I had never heard of it before, before reaching Inez and uh, her family. Um, but I think it's so interesting that she came from this, like, really rare ethnic group that, like, I've, I've never heard of. Like, I'd never heard about, like, the romance ethnic group. And, like, it's it's clear from researching this that uh, Gallican people are really, really passionate about their uh, culture. And I, I hope Inez was, too, because it's, it's very uh, interesting. So, speaking of Inez's family, let's talk about where her family came from and her actual parents. So, basically, her family was, like, just like a family tree of sluts, as I think you've noticed by the fact that Inez's, father, Inez's mother was her father's mistress and, like, not his wife, because she wasn't the first illegitimate child in her family. Oh, no. She came from a long line of illegitimacy, but it actually gave her some decent connections to powerful people. On her dad's side, her mother was... Um, sorry, on her dad's side, um, his mother, so Inez's grandmother, was the illegitimate daughter of King Sancho IV of Castile. So she had connections to Castile as well as the former kingdom of Leon because her uh, great-great-grandfather was the illegitimate son of Alfonso, um, I think that's the ninth of Leon. Now, the only legitimate descent she had was on her mother's side, ironically, as she was the direct descendant of this guy named uh, Henry Count of Portugal, who was uh, the father of uh, Portugal's first king. So, all in all, not too bad. Despite the uh, dubious circumstances under which she was born, she, she had a pretty good life set up for her. Now, in terms of her mom and dad, we don't really know much about either of them, but here's what I was able to learn starting with her dad. 
Now, her uh, dad was born of an actual legitimate marriage, but did not mean uh, he had an easy life considering his father died when he was young. So to protect him, he was sent to Portugal to be raised. And when he came back to Gallica, he became a very important soldier in the Castilian army of Alfonso the, I think it's the 11th, um, who was his uh, first cousin. Now, uh, Pedro was, he was really fucking good at his job. Like, he was so good at war, it was ridiculous. So, uh, he rose higher in the ranks and was even given back his ancestral home from um, some people who took it from him. And at one point, he was married to the king of Portugal's niece. Uh, so he had a pretty comfortable life. Now, Inez's mother, on the other hand, we know, like, pretty much next to nothing about her other than the fact that she was definitely Pedro's mistress, and she was of the Portuguese nobility, uh, which makes me think either her parents met when her dad, like, came to Portugal, or, uh, she came over with his, uh, first wife, Beatrice of Portugal, and that's how they got together. Either way, despite Inez's illegitimacy, her parents' connections and general wealth had a huge impact on her life. Now, uh, we know next to nothing about Inez's childhood, but we can make some educated guesses about how she was raised based on the time period. Now, it seems likely, despite the fact that she was illegitimate, that she was raised in the house with her father and her legitimate half-siblings, as well as her full younger brother. And their father probably treated them exactly the same, which means she would have had a pretty comfortable upbringing in Gallica, surrounded by fine clothes and gardens and her big fat castle, um, and uh, not to mention all the bomb food she had, because uh, I was reading up, when I was reading up about Gallican culture, they're like pretty famous for their uh, seafood, because a majority of the Gallican region is on the coast, so she probably would have had good seafood, good for her. Now, we can also assume that she had the typical, typical education for girls of this time period, uh, which would have included learning languages like Latin, Gallican, and maybe some Castilian Spanish, considering it was common for uh, Gallicans to speak the Castilian version of Spanish rather than their own uh, Gallican Spanish. Now, she would have also learned to read and write uh, for religious purposes, as well as uh, embroidery, weaving, spinning, and uh, painting. Uh, also, considering her people were romance people, she probably would have been taught music, uh, both religious songs and some uh, traditional songs to her people. So all in all, it's pretty likely she had a pretty well-rounded education of any noble girl her age. Uh, before we move on, let's talk about what she looked like, because from what I heard, Inez was smoking hot. <laughs> uh, I read she had golden blonde hair, blue eyes, and apparently like really white skin. Like She was like pale as fuck which would have been like really attractive at the time and being pretty in most circumstances can either get you really far in medieval Europe or it can get you in trouble and in this in case kind of did both for her you'll see that in a minute so it's uh finally time to uh, kick off Inez's story with some historical context so in uh, 1440, uh, the king of Portugal at the time and a Castilian prince ended up making an alliance where Princess Constance of Castile was meant to wed King Alfonso of Portugal's son after she had recently been released from a tower. Don't ask, it's a long story. Maybe I'll cover Constance of Castile one day and talk about how she was locked in a tower. Anyway, now because of Inez's dad's connections, he got her the job of being lady-in-waiting to uh, Constance when she was going to be future Queen of Portugal, which was a pretty huge deal because it meant um, 
and as could get to know some really powerful people, which could also lead to a powerful marriage for her one day. Now, Inez set off with her distant cousin Constance to Lisbon, Portugal, where I imagine she was probably present at Constance's wedding since she was her lady-in-waiting, and basically built-in friend. That's how lady-in-waitings kind of work. So it makes sense that she probably attended the wedding or something like that. Now, I've talked a bit about the position of lady-in-waiting before, but here's a quick recap so you can understand exactly what Inez would have been doing for Constance. Um, as one of Constance's ladies, she would have basically been built-in best friend for Constance, as well as doubling as a servant. It was pretty important for a lady-in-waiting to be well-educated in languages and etiquette, as they were sometimes a go-between from an ambassador to the person they were serving. It was also important for a lady-in-waiting to be good at stuff like embroidery, because, you know, women liked having sewing circles back then. Um, also, it was important that you had musical talents because, hey, the lady you're serving might want to hear a song, and if you can sing or play something and she likes it, that could totally boost your status in the group. So, it probably would have been important for Inez to know some music, and I hope she was good at it. <laughs> okay, now, time to in introduce our main man in this story, and his name is Prince Peter of Portugal, or as my mom likes to call him when I was telling her about how I was doing Inez, she called him Triple P because his name is Prince Peter of Portugal. PPPP. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about uh, about uh, Prince Peter of Portugal. So Peter was born on the 8th of April, 1420, which means he's only five years older than this. So he's about uh, 19 or 20 to her 14 at the time, which, you know, isn't terrible. But these days it would be a little um, also, I read Peter wasn't too bad looking either, by the way. Uh, based on paintings I could find of him, he had uh, brown hair and brown eyes, and he eventually grew a beard, which is like a uh, contour for men, basically. So uh, just keep that in mind when you're thinking of what Peter is meant to look like. Anyway, Peter was just uh, chilling, chilling until one day his uh, Papa Alfonso decides to make an alliance uh, against the king of Castile, because the king of Castile, who at the time was married to Peter's sister, was being a sack of shit <laughs> to her, so in order to, like, fuck with him, Alfonso makes a deal uh, with Prince Juan of Castile for the hand of his daughter Constance, who used to be married to that king of Castile, which was how Constance end up locked in, uh, ended up in that locked-in-a-tower situation, because uh, that Castilian king was a really bad husband. Anyway, uh, Alfonso and Juan make a deal that uh, Constance comes over to uh, marry Peter, and Peter's chill with it. Uh, he knew this was going to happen to him someday. And at first it looked like Peter and Constance's marriage was like going to go fine, because like they seemed to like, like each other well enough. Like It definitely wasn't love, but like it was fine. Uh, but that was until Peter laid his eyes on Inez, and he fell head over heels in love with Inez. Like, it was over for him. Like, it was fucking fireworks on sight for these two. And almost immediately, they started an, an affair when she got there in, like, uh, 1442 or 1443. Now, obviously, Peter's wife, Constance, was really fucking mad because one of her ladies was, like, literally fucking her husband behind her back. Uh, also, um, Constance was pregnant around the time uh, the affair started, so, like, not good. Uh, but at least Peter had time to get his wife pregnant. Um... So Constance, in a uh, fit of rage, <laughs> she basically tried to take some crafty method approaches to like stop the affair. 
Now, when Constance gave birth to her second baby, a boy named Louis, who, spoiler alert, doesn't live very long, uh, she made Inez his godmother, which, you know, may sound nice without context, like, oh, she made Inez <laughs> her son's godmother. But the point of it was that in the Catholic Church, godparents become, like, part of the family. So she was basically trying to make uh, Peter and Inez's relationship incest by association, which didn't work, by the way, because they were still fucking, like, well into the year 1444. Um, eventually other people started to notice that Peter wasn't paying attention to his wife and was keeping Inez as a mistress because it was totally ruining relations with the kingdom of Castile and Constance's dad, uh, Juan was not a happy clam. So Papa Alfonso had to deal with his, deal with it. And his method of dealing with it was sending Inez away to, uh, a castle all the way back in Castile. And you'd think, hey, maybe the distance will make them fall out of love. Like, it'll be fine. That was probably what uh, Alfonso was thinking. But uh, clearly, King Alfonso underestimated two, two, uh, sorry, two teenagers <laughs> because it only made Peter and Inez's love, like, ten times worse. Uh, despite her living far away, Peter and Inez met in secret as often as possible. Uh, he even said sent her adorable notes by attaching them to a small wooden boat and sailing them to her via the castle moat that she was living in, which is like low-key kind of adorable. And I kind of love that for them. Like, it's, it's like kind of cute. Now, uh, them hooking up like this in secret goes on for about a year, but then something like really convenient happens. Uh, Peter's wife, Constance, ends up dying, uh, giving birth to a baby boy named Ferdinand. And while this baby is the one that ends up living, uh, he is fragile as hell. So like, keep that in mind. Now, this is pretty good news for our lovesick teenagers, Inez and Peter, because with Constance out of the way, Peter is like, yay, we can get married now, and you can be my queen. But collectively, all other uh, Spanish countries and uh, Peter's dad was like, no, no, this doesn't mean anything, dude, you can't. So Alfonso tried to make arrangements to have Peter remarried, but Peter was like having none of his dad's shenanigans that day. And uh, he and Inez straight up left Portuguese court and essentially lived as if they were husband and wife. Now, for 10 or so years, Peter and Inez lived their like very own cottage core uh, life, and they even started a family. Inez gave birth to uh, three of his children in the course of 10 years. Um, her first son, John, was born in about uh, 1349. Um, in 1354, she had a second son named Dennis, and in that same year, she also had a daughter named Beatrice. Although it's not specified if Den Dennis and Beatrice were twins, like maybe they were like Irish twins, where like Dennis was born like in, like January 1354, and then Beatrice was born in like Christmas of that year, because like their birth dates aren't recorded, so we can't really tell, but like I imagine Beatrice and Dennis were like Irish twins. Either way, uh, Inez and Peter had built up this, like, cute little family, which was concerning for many reasons. Uh, whispers were going around Portuguese court that when Peter eventually became king, uh, he was going to disinherit his son Ferdinand by Constance, who, uh, at the time, despite being 10 years old, was still weak and sickly, and people were nervous that he was going to die, and uh, let uh, his children by Inez have the throne, which was, like, pretty much unthinkable to everyone because they were, like, born out of wedlock. Uh, this was incredibly unthinkable to uh, Peter's dad, Alfonso. Also, there were rumors that they had paid off a priest to secretly marry them, which we'll discuss that rumor later. 
Now, eventually, Alfonso realized that simple banishment wasn't going to stop this. He knew Inez had to go permanently. Dun, dun, dun. So he made up a plan to have her murdered. Um, in January of 1355, King Alfonso hired three assassins. And while Peter was out hunting, the three assassins plus Alfonso went to find Inez at the castle that Peter and Inez were living in. Now, they found Inez with one of her children, either uh, Dennis or Beatrice. It was definitely one of the younger ones. And according to legend, King Alfonso was really moved by seeing his grandchildren that he ordered the assassins to stop. But eventually the assassins were like, um, dude, what the fuck? You hired us to kill her. We're not going to get our money until we kill her. So let us kill her. <laughs> and apparently Alfonso like left the room and said, do whatever you want. Like literally like verbatim, that's what he said, which they took very, very literally. Um, they grabbed Inez and stabbed her several, several times. And once she was dead, uh, they decapitated her for good measure, which, you know, seems like overkill, but they did that. Uh, also, I have to mention they did this in front of one of her small children. Uh, like I said, not sure which one, but she was definitely murdered in front of one of her children or maybe even all of them. But either way, uh, that has got to be traumatizing for whichever kid or all of the kids that witnessed it. Now, when Peter came back to find Inez's body, he was incredibly angry and swore revenge, which he would eventually get. Now, uh, normally, I bet you're probably looking at the timestamp, <laughs> this is where my episode would end because, you know, our main character is like sort of like bleeding on the floor dead with her head cut off. <laughs> um, but Inez's story continues to go on long after he died, long after she died. So think of this as an extended epilogue for our girl Inez. Okay, so now we're coming into the creepy parts. I hope you guys are ready. So after Inez died, Peter was, oh God, he was inconsolable. Like, he was really, really upset and declared war against his father in an attempt to kill the assassins and punish his father for what he had done. But uh, let's just say it didn't go well um, because Peter got his ass handed to him. Uh, luckily, two years after Inez died, uh, Peter's dad also died. And Peter was finally king of Portugal. And with all that power in his hands, he finally got the revenge he had always wanted on the assassins that killed Inez. Uh, he was able to capture two out of three assassins. One of them eventually, like, got away. I don't know how he did that, but he did that. And um, he gave the two assassins that he caught an incredibly horrific death, just like what had happened to Inez. Um, Peter had their hearts ripped from their chests, and they were left to bleed out. And apparently it was symbolic of what they had done to his own heart when they had killed Inez. And honestly, love that creativity on Peter's part. Good for him. Very brutal. Very symbolic. Now, I'm sure he had put a lot of thought into this, probably. Now, one of Peter's first decrees as king was uh, declaring that he and Inez had married in secret. Therefore, his children with her were now in line for the throne behind his son, Ferdinand, uh, which was sketchy for many reasons, because literally the only proof of their marriage was the fact that uh, Peter said they had been married, but, like, that wasn't enough for, like, some people. Now, I think the only reason that there was not much of a fuss was made about it was because Peter's older son... Ferdinand was still heir, and Ferdinand could still possibly have children at this point, so it might not have been that bad. Now, if you think Peter making uh, his kids with Inez legitimate was drastic after she was already dead, wait till you hear the next part. Now, I have to state that it's pretty likely that this next part is entirely legend because the first time this story is ever brought up was over 100 years after Inez died, and also Peter doesn't exactly have the best reputation as King of Portugal after he died, so... It's probably made up, but it's still fun to talk about, and it's also why it is famous. 
Now, apparently, when Peter had Inez declared queen and their children legitimate, he wanted to have a coronation for her. So he had her body removed from her tomb that he had uh, designed himself, uh, dressed in the coronation robes of a queen of Portugal. And if that wasn't creepy enough, um, he had her placed on a throne, like her dead body, that had the entire Portuguese court kiss her hand and swear loyalty to her as queen. Which, <laughs> that's, that's gross. <laughs> Now, did this actually happen? Probably not. Um, if you guys have learned one thing, one thing from this show, it's that uh, medieval people are dramatic. Oh, sorry, that was a burp. <laughs> and they love sugarcoating stories. Now, to be honest, it doesn't really matter how true or not it is. Inez has the unique distinction of being the only queen of Portugal to be crowned after she had been dead for a few years, which while uh, creepy, it's also kind of cool. And also, I think she might be like the only queen like, ever to be crowned after she was dead? Like, I don't know if that's a thing. <laughs> if that's, like, only unique to Inez, or if, like, she's just, like, really the only European queen. Anyway, she she's, she's cool. Now, after her creepy coronation, she was put into a brand new tomb that still exists. It's actually very nice, and uh, luckily she was never exhumed again. Actually, um, part of her uh, tomb is the cover that I used for this episode. It's, I figured it was the most, uh, like, life like likeness of her like I imagine like Peter was like this is what she looked like carve her um carve her statue over her tomb just like she looked like yeah anyway now uh before we get into her legacy I want to talk about what happened to her children because she died when they were all under five years old so I think it's important to talk about what happened to the three of them now Inez's two sons John and Dennis ended up in a succession crisis as adults because their older brother Ferdinand died and he only had one daughter so they were contenders for the throne because but so was their uh, other half-brother also named John who was an illegitimate son their dad had had when he was king uh, after Inez had died and uh, despite John and Dennis's best efforts neither of them ended up being king of Portugal instead their half-brother John became king founding the house of Avez which is the uh, Portuguese line that uh, poor Isabella of Castile had to contend with uh, for her throne. Um, now, as for Inez's daughter, Beatrice, uh, she ended up marrying the Count of Albuquerque, which, you know, when I heard the word Count of Albuquerque, it made me think of one Albuquerque, New Mexico. And then it made me think of High School Musical because uh, High School Musical uh, was uh, well set and shot in Albuquerque, New Mexico, <laughs> which I know is like a weird um, connection to make, but I, yeah, I made it. Anyway, uh, Beatrice married the Count of Albuquerque, and she gave birth to a daughter named Eleanor, who would eventually go on to be married to the King of Aragon, which is pretty cool, because it makes, uh, Inez an ancestress of the current Spanish royal family, and many other royal families thanks to her daughter, which I think is pretty awesome, and probably something Inez would have never have, like, expected to happen to her one day. And also, um, She's a, Inez is like the great-great-grandmother of uh, our boy Ferdinand II of Aragon, which, you know, <laughs> kind of explains where he got a lot of his personality from. <laughs> anyway, I think it's pretty awesome that she ended up being the ancestress, like, of all these, like, really cool people, and, like, it gives her, like, a really great, like, legacy. Anyway, uh, speaking of legacy, let's get into her legacy. Now, Inez's legacy is huge, especially in Portugal, since her and Peter's love story is basically the Portuguese Romeo and Juliet. Like, she's very, very famous in Portugal. Now, there have been like a billion poems 
plays and ballets written about them, not to mention a TV show and a movie, which if I could find, I would totally watch. It's probably all in Portuguese, but you know, there's always uh, subtitles. And I wish they would make like an English language movie about their love story because that'd be a good fucking TV show. Don't you guys think? That would be a great TV show. Now, uh, the point is, is that Inez made history by simply following her heart, uh, but she ended up uh, paying the ultimate price for that love because she was like super duper stabbed. Um, <laughs> thank you guys so much for joining me in this episode. Uh, I'm sorry this is a short one. I expected it to be a little bit longer, but I still totally had fun recording this special Halloween episode. Uh, see you guys in two weeks with the next one. Um, we're also going to be covering a queen in uh, two weeks who also had a lot to do with dead bodies <laughs> and was also uh, Spanish. So think on those clues for a little bit. I'm sure you guys are going to get it. Have a nice two weeks. Love you guys. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at longmaysherain2. The N at the end of rain is replaced with a two instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience. So I would absolutely appreciate it if you you guys could do that. All right. Uh, bye.